This is Radiance Tape number NC1, the first in a five-part series by Jim Durkin on the theme, Preparation for the 80s. This message is entitled, Gaining Apostolic Perspective. Hallelujah. Some things that I'm going to say here throughout these four meetings, they're still future. But I tell you, they've been tested enough so that we know we're on a sound footing. Now, you'll understand what I mean when I get into that. I'm simply saying that I normally don't speak from a place of theory. I tell the men and women around me that have been raised up to do the work of God, do not go to other preachers with theories. The world is filled with theories, most of them untested, most of them untestable, most of them detestable. They won't work. And... Uh, it's going to be an important thing that when you do something, you come from a place where you have a demonstration unit, something to say, we have done it here and this works, and then we did it here and it worked again, and we did it under this new set of circumstances, it worked again, and it worked again, and it worked another matter. What it does, it always works because the Word of God, properly understood, rightly divided, and rightly applied. Now that's what must be in our hearts. Now otherwise, we're merely theoreticians, we go out and have this wonderful, fantastic idea. What do you think of that? And a person says, you ever do it? Well, no. Do you know anyone who has? Well, no. Uh, well, come back to me when you've done it, and then we'll talk about it. See? All right, now, because a person is unlikely to give up something that works, even if it works very poorly, rather than exchange it for something that has no idea works at all. That's a, just a pretty good principle of life. Now, some things of which I'm going to speak, I am certain they're true but you'll have to make up your own mind to act on them or not. Now, I'm going to speak from a place that, to me, they are certain. I say that because I believe they are a revelation God speaking to me and saying, James Durkin, this is what I tell you is coming on the earth, and this is what you should say to people, and this is how you should act, and this is how you should direct people where you have influence. So I'm going to speak from that point of view. But it will be up to you to receive a witness from the Spirit. But if you do receive a witness then don't let anything stand in the way of you carrying out what we're speaking about here these next few days. I'm wondering to say this last thing because there's not too many who could confirm this here tonight. But men who would know me tonight and would speak would say this to be true. I always speak out of experience and from a firm trust in God's Word. I... I'm not a reader of books, though I read many books, but I don't read books, get all hopped up with a great new idea, and go preaching the book until I've experienced the message. I don't preach the book. There are many things in the Bible. I look in there and I minister those things and I say, here's what the Bible says. I'm not sure what it means. Let's walk in this together. Let's see what it means. We begin to walk together. But once I have the experience... Then I preach out of authority. I say, I know this to be true. See, David, in the early days of his life, I think he must have looked at and said, God is a great God, and a God can take care of anybody, and God is wonderful, and God is great, and so forth and so on. But over a period of years, he had certain tremendous and wonderful experiences. And then toward the end of his life, he said, once I was young. Now, that'd be the place he'd be looking forward and saying, I believe this to be true. But in his older years, he could say, once I was young, and now I am old. Now, I want to tell you what I've seen. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. See, now that's a place of experience. Looking back and saying, I know this to be true from a life of experience. All right, now what I'm speaking to you of 
I know to be true from a life of experience. So I want you to bow your heads with me, and then I'll begin to open up what I see here. Heavenly Father, you have blessed us thus far in allowing us to praise you and worship you and to exalt your name in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, Father, I pray that you would further bless us by opening up our hearts to receive your word for us this day. And I pray in every respect, Lord, it will be your word for this day, and it will change our hearts, it will motivate us, Lord, toward right actions and right movements, so that every one of us will be where we ought to be and where we must be for every moment and every year and every hour and every day until you shall return for us, Lord. Grant that, precious Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, here are some certainties from my point of view. There is coming to this earth shortly two things. There's coming to this earth a an economic holocaust that will shake the foundations of all who have not properly understood what God is doing and properly prepared themselves for what is coming. Now, I know it's a very difficult thing when you go out and you look at the sunshine tomorrow morning, if it shines or whatever will be the case, and you look at your house still standing, and maybe you go to your job still there, and you say, what was he talking about last night? All things continue as they were since the beginning of time. I mean, there's jobs and uh, this, and we have good years and bad years, but I tell you something, you must not believe that anymore than Pharaoh would have been wise to have believed, oh, we've had good years and bad years, Joseph, and uh, this is interesting what you just told me, and... Uh, no, something happened to him and God, and when Joseph told him there will be seven good years, and then it will be seven bad years, the like of which has never been before, and they will eat up all the good years and everything beside. Now he said, I give you counsel. Build yourself some silos, build yourself some storage places, and take this which God is now giving you and store it up. Because he said, when those years come, the people will not have done it. See? In other words, leadership must act. Some people will. If they get the message clear enough, they will act. But the great majority of people will not act unless they see leadership act. See? Unless they see those who are over them in the Lord. Because we are example setters to them. We are vision makers for them. And God has made it so. That's why the trust that we have as elders is such a tremendous trust that those sheep, now I too am a sheep and you are a sheep, and we must be careful we never get permanently cast in the role of shepherd where we begin to think traditionally, I am the shepherd and those are the sheep. Because I'm a sheep too and you're a sheep too. But we tend in our normal walking to be more in the shepherding role. Every once in a while I have to remind myself, get out of my hands and knees. Haven't done it literally for a long time, but I have done it and said, bah, bah, to remind myself that I'm a sheep. <laughs> and I have done that too. 
<laughs> now, if you'll laugh too much, I'll have us all get down and go. <laughs> There's no greater danger than for a man to allow himself to be locked into his single most obvious function. And we're called to eldership. That's a work of shepherding. That's a work of oversight. That's a work of example setting. Your elders, that means older men. So you set an example. It should be that older men, like fathers, the children look to the older men and say, I wish to be like my father. That's the way people ought to be about us. A shepherd doesn't mean, or an elder doesn't mean, I'm the boss. He's the head. That's one thing. He rules, but he doesn't lord. See, it's a, it's a whole thing that has to be worked in there. But unless those who are the example setters set examples for the body, the children will not follow, the sheep will not follow, the church will not follow. So there has to be some very real thing of a vision that comes into the heart of the fathers, and then it will be in the heart of the sons. And the sons and the daughters will do, and the wives will stand. Now, when Joseph gave that to Pharaoh because God had already done a thing in Pharaoh's heart and made him know that this was a dream from God, and when he heard the answer to it, he said, let this be done. Now, you said, well, there's seven years. I have many things to do. I have great pyramids I wish to build, and I have great aqueducts I wish to build, and why don't we get on this in six years and a half, and then we will get moving right now. See? Now, Pharaoh was a wise man. And the result of it is, because he acted with dispatch and with wisdom, hearing the word of God, he not only preserved his own people, those who were his flesh and blood, but he provided the base which preserved all of Israel that came down there to find. See, Israel itself had not prepared. Isn't that an interesting thing? Part of it, God wanted it to be there. But the word came here, and that man heard it. All right, now, there is coming a worldwide economic holocaust. It is not going to be something that's going to get Russia and the Chinese communists and wreck Africa, destroy South America. It's going to be worldwide. And that means America will go down with it. As a matter of fact, America is probably in some ways in a worse position to fall than the rest of the world is. Because the rest of the world, in many cases, many parts of it are living already with a, almost like a gathering economy. They go out and gather what beans and fruit they can and eat what they can scrub here and there, and most of them go to bed hungry anyhow. But America's built up an economic system based on a fantastic industrialization of technology, all depending on the rest of the world to supply things right on target. And if they don't supply those things, then this whole standard of living, which so many of us have become used to, and which we almost think is the Christian standard of living. Not a Christian standard of living. Paul didn't know anything about that standard of living. The Lord didn't know anything about that standard of living. Peter didn't have anything to do with that standard of living. No, it's not a Christian standard of living. It's a unique phenomenon in the history of the world for a very short period of time. And now, with the rest of the world, it's about to come to an end. But it's not a time of gloom. See, I am not a preacher of gloom. I just need to get something across serious enough so people stop and say, what did he say? Because we're liable to hear it like this. 
All he said was, come in a couple of bad years, and if I just store up a little bit of food and uh, make sure that I'm ready for the next time, I'm going to make millions of dollars, and while we're back to it again, now we're... Re no, I'm not saying anything like that at all. I believe it's a time of opportunity. I believe for Christians who properly understand godly prosperity, they can prosper in a right way. Too many Christians understand prosperity to be riches. The Bible has many bad things to say about riches, many good things to say about prosperity. And prosperity is an attitude of mind, a framework of mind, which allows us to increase beyond a certain place. We don't increase our living anymore. We increase our giving, see? And I tell our men that are building up and our young women that are growing, make sure you don't get caught up with the mold of this world. Hey, Philip said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but let the Spirit of God remold you from within. So we think like Christ thinks. Now, if anyone could have been an offering taker par excellence, it would have been the Lord Jesus Christ. After he healed a few people, he could have gathered shekels right and left. They would have just thrown them just like this. Oh, this is a real way to get rich. See? That's right. And Paul wouldn't have been such a slouch himself, and Peter wouldn't have been either. And the man that went up to the city of Samaria and told, oh, wow. He could have gone out there with his pockets bulging, carts full of silver and gold shekels. But they didn't think that way. They understood the principles of prosperity. And beyond a certain place, they understood it was the power to be able to give in an ever greater way. Okay, now, second thing that's coming is a worldwide war in which very likely all of the nations, or for all practical purposes, all the nations of the world will be in, joined in that war. When it's over, probably if I'm reading it right, if I'm understanding what part of the Bible is referring to it, that Russia itself will be destroyed. Many of those eastern countries, Middle East, will be greatly broken. Israel itself will be in a renewed frame of mind. We'll speak about that maybe a little bit later if we get into it. But those two things are basic. Now, it's only the Spirit of God that can make that real to you. See, you must say, well, I don't have a Spirit doesn't witness to me anything like that at all. All right, then you at least listen to the rest of what I have to say, because it would be generally right anyhow. But in the light of what I believe the Lord has revealed to me as coming in the very near future, we talk about the 80s, I believe, the very early part of the 80s, economic holocaust. I've been telling our people now for two years, get your house in order. And thank God most of our people are doing it. They're moving properly toward their death situations. They're moving properly toward certain other physical situations. They're moving properly toward certain spiritual understandings. They're getting themselves ready for, I feel, the greatest test and the greatest opportunity the church has probably ever known in modern times, maybe all time. Opportunity is what we're speaking of here tonight. Crisis, test, exhaustion, strain, but opportunity for a victorious march of the church like the world has never known before. And I say it once again, I hope that in talking to elders tonight, I'm going to give you a concept of something, see? Because second point that I want to bring out here is we as men of God in the sense of elders, and you women that are called to walk with your husbands, deacons that might be here, prophets, prophetesses, whatever the case may be, and whatever your theology there, please forgive me my theology 
But the thing that I bring out here is that all of us are to be men and women of concept. Now, concept, I mean we have the power to conceptualize something, to understand. Something that's in the heart of God, He conceives an idea, or He conceives a principle, or He conceives something to be done. And then He creates an earth, and the heavens, and stars, and moon, and sun, and angels, and and He brings forth animals, and plants, and seas, and humans. Is this all happenstance? Like someone said, a fortuitous concourse of atoms, just something all popped together, and here it is, and God looks at it and says, wow, fantastic. wonder what else will happen by No, we were put here by the design of Almighty God for a reason. Concept. See, He's moving us inexorably towards something that He sees from eternity past to eternity future, and we're moving in the space called time, and we're part of that, see. Now, I'm an elder. I'm called to do something that he's put me here for, James Durkin, known to him before the foundation of the world. That's very weighty in my mind. I think God has known I've been coming since before the foundation of the world. And when I came, I was not just some baby born. I believe with all my heart that when I was born, I was born with abilities in me, I was born with properties in me, I was born with leanings in myself that God would take and shape and mold, and He's still shaping and molding it, and I believe that also about you, and I believe that about every believer on the face of the earth, that you have and I have a destiny in this world, and we're meant by God to carry out that destiny. But I tell you that too many Christians and too many elders have no concept whatever of themselves as men and women of destiny. It's just like, well, I'm an elder, and I don't know what I'm doing here. And I said, well, they told me I'm going to preach this morning, and here I am preaching, and I don't know what I'm preaching, and I don't know how long I'm supposed to preach, and okay, there it is, that's done. Now I wonder what I do tomorrow, and then I'm going to... I was that way for a long time. I understand that. But I tell you, I'm not that way anymore. I'm not that way anymore because I believe there's a destiny toward which I am moving with certainty, and I'm saying, Father, I want to fulfill that. I want to be like Jesus at the end of my days, and I want to be like Paul at the end of his days, and I'm certain all the other apostles and prophets and elders and workers that understood that concept of moving, that God put us here to do something specific. I'm not here to do anything. I'm here to do something, something very specific, and you're here to do something very, very, very specific. Jesus said, Father, I have finished the work which you gave me to do. He didn't say, Father, I was a good man. I walked around this earth and did good things. And, you know, I don't know if that's what you wanted me to do, but I did the best I could do. And now I'm coming back to heaven. And uh, see, it was not that way. And Paul, when he got down to the end of his life, he didn't say, well, here we are, 60. No, he said, I've not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. He knew what his course was. And he ran it. He said, I have my eye on the goal. And I move toward that goal. An elder, that's what he has to be. A man of concept. He has to understand what concepts are in the heart of God for time and eternity. He has to understand what concepts are in the heart of God for this time in which we live. He has to understand what concepts are in the heart of God for the church which he serves in. He has to understand what concepts are in the heart of God for his people. Now, if he was like, oh, wow, this is too much. I'm going to resign right now. No, don't do that. Hang in there. It's a wonderful adventure that's coming up. See, when I first began to look at these things, oh, Lord, I go, oh, God, see. But I want to tell you something. Once you begin to say, all right, Lord, 
some time ago I was talking to several elders. They said they were going to resign, three of them, one body. So we're resigning. They wanted my blessing. They said, well, I'm sorry to say this to you, that I cannot give it. And I said, I'm going to tell you why. I didn't make you an elder, and I can't unmake you. Now, if you had committed some overt sin, then that'd be true. I would use those sanctions which God has given me, and I would certainly defrock you in the name of the Lord. But I said, that's not the case. Now, I said, if you want a blessing, you go to God and tell him you want to abandon your sheep and go do something else. But I couldn't do that. They said, well, we don't want to abandon our sheep either. I said, good, let's talk no more about resigning. Then let's get on to business and start eldering. All right. Now, they're doing a tremendous job right now. I'll tell you that. How many of you like to hear language like that? Can I see your hand? How many are not sure you like to hear language like that? <laughs> now, I want to take a third point. We would need to grasp concept in its entirety. Without an overview, we lose all perspective. Now, I want us to think here what it means to be an elder. Now, because we tend to have a myopic view of life, all of us do. That includes myself. And I have to constantly keep reminding myself... Watch out, Jim Durkin, you're getting a narrow point of view again. You're looking at your little thing that you have to do here. See, just this little little deal, and you're starting to get your myopic point of view. Now, elders have a greater problem with that than perhaps any other particular ministry. Because, you see, like where I stand in the work that I do, I tend to see a wider view. I have to oversee many kinds of situations. So it's, I'm not right locked into just an immediate thing i used to be as a pastor as an elder i was locked into an immediate thing when a person comes up to you and says oh pastor you really have to do something for me right now because see i'm about to blow out and i'm going to backslide and i probably commit suicide beside that see well if he tells you something like that normally you have to do something right away it's hard to have a wider vision of life like you say what what'd you say see? <laughs> And so your vision comes in immediately on that particular situation. And you go home and you go, oh, 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 oh. Hey, I think we got him through this one tonight. I don't know what it'll be tomorrow. All right. Now, however, because of that tendency toward that myopic kind of a vision, see, we're not liable to be thinking too much about worldwide economic holocaust coming or world war coming. We're saying, man, I've got a war going on right here. These two brothers are about to blow the place apart and I've got to... See, and we tend to get locked into a very narrow kind of a situation. Now, that reason, and another one that I'm going to mention here pretty quick, we begin to fall back into, no matter how much we tend to come out and say, well, we're going to be really New Testament in this matter, we tend to fall back into a very traditional mentality. And the other one is that it's very difficult to work with anyone other than myself. I work very well with myself most of the time. I don't get along too well with anyone else, especially if they don't agree with me at all times and quickly. See, that's a very basic idea. So, all right, here we have four of us, and we're all raised up together, and praise God, we're all saved, and isn't this wonderful? And now we're called to do the work of God, and we're going to go out here and get people saved. And I think what we ought to do is we ought to have a revival meeting. Uh, I don't think that at all, brother. I feel what we ought to do is go down the streets and preach Jesus. Listen, brother, preach Jesus on the streets isn't my cup of tea. My cup of tea is a revival meeting in a dignified way. And I, I believe that what we should do is build and do people the depth of the Spirit. And I, wait a minute, brother, you got to get them saved for him. Now, pretty soon I say, you know what I think we need here? I think we need four churches. You in that town, you in that town, you in that town. No, you in that world and me. 
Now, I'm the pastor here, and I want you people to hear my... See? But there's something wrong with that. I want to tell you what that is. That the Bible never addresses the pastor of a church in the New Testament or the Old anywhere. There is no address ever to the pastor of the church at... Yet I can tell you in 1980, 95%, 97% of all churches, if you did not address it to the pastor himself, it wouldn't get any further at all. But what the Bible always does address to, to the elders which be at the church, there was a plurality that had to work. Something that said, you, Jim Durkin, can't be a lone man. You need someone working with you here and someone working with you here and someone working here and someone working here. And you together are all brethren and you are elders and together you will oversee the flock and together you will walk in the shepherd your people. Together you will... Hello, this person here, he... Mm. And this one here, very hard to get along with. Someone said to me some time ago, they would rather work with women in some of those areas because women are trained in submission. That's not necessarily true, but that was his idea. And I said, yes, it's much easier to work with women trained in submission than brothers trained in bullheadedness. But see, the fact is that he has called us men to work with men and not men to work alone, but men to work with men in a plurality. Now, that's a difficult thing to do. You know, especially if you've got a church, you're getting it going, and you're the pastor. You got there, finally. And here's 10 people, 20 people, 50 people, 80 people, 100 people, whatever number you can kind of corral there and work with, and they're looking to you, and you're the pastor, and oh, pastor this and pastor that. Wow, it's terrific. But it's not going to be adequate for the times which are coming. No man by himself is smart enough. Now, I spent years of study... I searched out all kinds of fields in my lifetime. The Lord has given me that kind of mind which I'm able to do that and retain it and put it in a proper balance. But I tell you something from a study of the Word of God, I have come to a conclusion that I am not. I am not able now. I was not able 20 years ago. I will not be able 20 years from now to buy myself, equip or perfect or train any saint, not even one saint in the whole world at any time. Not like the Bible talks about equipping the saints. Now, am I going to run the risk in 1980 with what I believe is coming? And I believe in what you can look around you and what you must know is coming. Do you really believe you're smart enough, wise enough, strong enough, great enough, spiritual enough, powerful enough to do what Ephesians 4, and we'll talk about a little later, says that God gave all of these, all, see, not one gift, but many gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry until we come to. No. Any rational man that stops and thinks about it for a moment knows he cannot do. If Jesus said, I gave these gifts too, we cannot bring it down to one and say, I alone can do this. Jesus alone can do it. Not you and I alone. We need something more. We need a frame of reference 
that is unmovable in this matter of being an elder. And that frame of reference is not the traditional church. The frame of reference is the Word of God. Years ago, I had a problem as a minister, traditional minister, doing a reasonably decent job. I did, it wasn't a bad job. It wasn't people were getting saved and people were stable. And that's what I perceived myself to be, to build a congregation. Hopefully we would build it fast with some good revivals and a few things like that and some good preaching and teaching afterwards, and we'd build it. And the main thing is to hold people steady. Just keep the old ones steady, and then finally, pretty soon, they were into heaven. Now we got them in. And here's the young ones coming in. Just hold them. Just keep it going. Just like this. See, and finally, here they... Ah. And then finally, myself. Now, that was my concept of the ministry. And we worked with them, and we labored, and we built, and we held this one together and helped this one. This one blew out. We lost one, but we got this one. And it's just this you know, round and round and round thing. But finally, I got to the place looking in the Bible, and I said, Lord, there's something wrong. This that I'm doing is not what you're talking about in here. Where are the leaders that should be raised up in the ministry? If I'm ministering properly, where are the stream of powerful workers coming up? Here's a stream of powerful tithers. Preach that all the time. Tithing, 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 tithing. <laughs> but where are the leaders? Where are the powerful workers? Where are the men and women committing themselves to the work of the Lord? Where are the men and women saying, Lord, we'll go to the ends of the earth? Or train us, we're ready to be. Where are they, Lord? Well, maybe you get one after five years, friend, say, Brother, Pastor, the Lord may be calling me to the ministry. You think I ought to go to Bible school? Hell, right, you should. Wow, I finally got a preacher. See? It's like, that was the mark. You're looking at it as funny. It wasn't funny in those days. Funny now. I can laugh with you. But those, oh, yeah. Now the last few years, I've seen streams of leadership rising up. Streams of them. Unending streams. Still today, same way. Streams of leadership rising up. Because we've begun to practice a godly principle of a multiplicity of eldership. That wasn't easy. Again, to look at these young people that God sent me, and as Brother Bob mentioned, they were hip culture people. And not too many hippies around here. I mean, maybe none really around that I know of at all. But in those days, that was the thing to be. And everybody's a hippie even if they didn't know what it meant. But they were hips and you know, so forth. And these young men and women came to us, and we began to preach to them a vision. I said, I can't do this by myself. Because I'm going to give you a vision of what has to be, and I began to tell them what I considered purpose and vision were, and that's, again, a concept. And I began to put that purpose and vision in their hearts. Their idea, they had their little vision, they came to me and said, Oh boy, uh, Jim Durkin, we just feel with you here, and we're on this little ranch, and we can have 30, 40 people here, and I'll have my little pottery shop here, and we'll have my little sandwich shop here, and I'm going to do weaving over here, and we'll, we'll just grow old together. And I said, No, we're not going to grow old together. You aren't going to have a weaving shop here. We're going to go preach the gospel in all the world. Hallelujah. I don't want to do that. Eh? Concept. We're going to glorify God with our living and our dying. Well, I don't want to die. See. But as I began to be preached again and again, and I began to say, I need leadership. I need men and women who will stand in the gap. I need ones who will lay down their lives completely for Christ. I need. Then they began to come forth. 
I'll stand with you. I'll work with you. I'll lay down my life for Christ. I'll go where I have to. I'll live for His glory. I want to preach the gospel in all the world. I want to see the church one. I want to live a life of Jesus on this. I want to. Here came a stream of leadership rising up. Some of them put them into places of authority. Didn't carry it too well. Put a weight on them and oh, say, keep hanging in there. You can do it. And pretty soon, here they begin to stand up and Next thing, here's a strong man standing beside you, and a strong man, and a strong man, a strong woman, strong man, strong woman. I say, okay, I'll tell you what I want to do. We've got to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. So we're going to take now, I believe you can do it. I believe you can go to some far off city, far away from me, where I'm not going to be there. I'll come and see you from time to time. But I believe you can go out and establish a church over there. Set up a testimony for Jesus in another city. Oh, brother, I don't know, you know. Right here with you, brother, we really, yes, I know, but you don't need me. You're there, you're strong, you're able, you go do it. Next thing we sent a group of 15, 20 people out. 20 people, and I had 10 more later. Now those teams are going out from Eureka, little teeny old city where those people kept coming from. I don't know this day and still don't know. The church just jam-packed with people. We sent several hundred out. They just jam-packed with people all the time. Just a steady stream of people being one to the Lord, see. Because there's a principle working there. A concept works there. Now, I notice something that if I don't keep ministering that apostolic concept, the ability to get knocked down like Paul says, often knocked down, never knocked out. Hallelujah. That's what it needs to be. When things fall wrong and here they're down on their knees, they crawl back up again and we're on our feet again. Hallelujah. Say, you look like a good worker for Jesus for me. We're going to put you out there in the field where the going is tough because they've already demonstrated that kind of quality. But concept. But if we see ourselves like eldership, if we see it in too myopic a point of view, we're just into, well, I'm building my little church here, and I've got this thing to do, and you don't really realize, and we become very parochial. We surround ourselves with our little four walls, and here it is, and maybe if we finally get 40 people, now we raise a building fund, and we take the wall, and we enlarge it by three feet, and put a whole new row, so, oh, hallelujah, and then, oh, God, what's happening here? See, and we do not have the concept that makes us big men and big women who can see something beyond four walls. Jesus said the field is the world. We're not citizens of this country, we're citizens of another country. We're ambassadors for Christ in this world. Oh, I want to say to you, you're not citizens of New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, Massachusetts, New York. You're citizens of a heavenly country. And down here, you're sojourners, and you're ambassadors for Christ, and an ambassador goes where his king tells him to go. And if my king tells me, I want you to go and be an ambassador for me in Africa, if I want to stay in the core, I don't say, no way. I say, of course, Lord. Always wanted to go to Africa. <laughs> want to make sure I get my pension in heaven. And if he says, you've done enough work in Africa, how about just getting this thing going? You've done enough work in Africa? Yes, Lord. Yes, what you said. Where now? I want you now to go to Vermont. Whatever you say, Lord. See? Now you're finished here, off to France. Amen. Off to... See, but there has to be a concept that has to be deep in our hearts. And we say, oh, no, I've always wanted to live in Massachusetts or Maine or wherever I am. And, and to be like me in Eureka, Eureka, and here I am. And I love Eureka. And I have my house here. And my children are all here with me. And I've got a good church here. And this is it for me. And I'm not moving. Nobody's getting me out of Eureka, California. And I want to tell you, we've got a wrong concept. 
of ambassadorship. I am an ambassador for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. And if that heart gets in you that needs to be there, where you get away from that concept of the myopic viewpoint of life, and you begin to get that broader aspect of life, and you begin to see it on that broader point of view, and you begin to minister that to your people. At first, they're going to be saying, what? What's this strange message we're hearing? Wow, that sounds kind of funny. He's telling me not to be too interested in the pain I have in my ear and the pain I have in my knee and the pain I have in my... You mean, but, but pastor, I have this pain. Don't you remember last week? We had a three-hour counseling session about my ear pain. Don't you remember that? See, you're saying I shouldn't pay any attention to it. No, pay no attention to it. Oh, really? What should I pay attention to? A lost world and we're going to take the world for Christ and we're, oh, oh, oh my ear pain, pastor. No ear pain now. We're... See, and pretty soon the guy's going to say, man, this is interesting. Forget the ear pain. What are you saying up there, preacher? Wow, take the world for Christ. And Oh, man, you mean I could be used of God? You mean there's a... See, but there's a tendency on us as elders to kind of minister down to our people like, my dearly beloved, I know the pains in your heart. I know the struggles of your life. I know that each one of you, if you looked around deep inside of you and you found the wounds and the hurts and the angers and the... You'd be home, not here. <laughs> but you, by courage, have you risen up and you've come to church to hear me and I will comfort you and help you in any way that I can. And I will always comfort you and help you until the very end when you leave and go to be with... See, and people say, that's right. I could just barely get here today. It was hard. The alarm clock went off at 9 o'clock and jangled my ear, and I had to get up. We weaken our sheep and turn them into babies that never grow up. But in so doing, we have created for ourselves a permanent job because we will never be able to let those babies out of our sight very long, and they will never get out of our sight very long. Don't leave, Pastor. We need you. And that's a good feeling. But it's not such a good feeling 20 years later. Now, we are teachers of the whole of God's Word. Now, the church has abandoned itself to teaching a part of God's Word. It's a great shame, to be sure. The Word deals not only with moralities of inner thought, which many of us have become masters at preaching, the moralities of inner thought. Motivations, but we deal only with a certain kind of motivations, not the whole range of motivations. The Bible deals much more with the interactions with all men to the glory of God. How I relate to my neighbor, saved or unsaved. How I relate to my brother in the fellowship to which I attend. How do I relate to all brethren? How do I interact with people? How do I treat my wife? How does a wife treat her husband? How do we treat our children? How do children treat their parents? How do children treat each other? What kind of basis of interaction? It deals with finances and business matters a very great deal. Now, I don't know how many ministers I've heard, and I used to say it myself. I preach on spiritual matters. I don't deal with carnal matters. Putting business and money in a carnal place. They are not carnal. They're not carnal. You get a man where he's got a bunch of messed up finances and watch how it affects him spiritually. We just got a situation, a place where I've just recently come from, that those people were in extreme business difficulties. 
We sat down with them in two, three, four meetings. I forget how long it was. I know one time it was up till three o'clock in the morning. Came home, my wife said, three o'clock in the morning. See? But they had to be dealt with. What was I dealing with? Not spiritual motivations, not what they felt like inside, not a pain in their knee. Money. Bring out the facts and the figures. I want to look at them here. Well, this is wrong. This is wrong. Change this. This has to be done. Don't you see? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, that's clear. Wow. Then we arranged some kind of help that they needed. Now, man, one of them, a man and wife, they were boom, 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 boom. Now they're getting along. Had a spiritual revival in the home. Wasn't a spiritual revival. Well, it was a spiritual revival. Got the money thing straightened out. See, money is like a symbol of life. I give a part of my life. I could take the eight hours I give, let's say, at some place, and I could go lay under a coconut tree someplace. Wouldn't get paid any money for that. Eight hours of life is gone. Said I take eight hours of life and I go dig a ditch for somebody. Said I'll pay you two dollars an hour if you dig this ditch or five or seven. You see, the last time I dug a ditch, two dollars an hour. That was a long time ago. Anyhow, dig this ditch. So at the end of eight hours, I've made sixteen dollars or twenty dollars, whatever you hands it to me. It's a symbol of life. It isn't dirty. It's unrighteous mammon because people have made it an unrighteous mammon. People have looked at it and said, he worked for it, but if I can steal it or manipulate him out of it, I will. But when they're manipulating me out of that which I have laid my life down for, they take my life. Because I can take that same money and hand it to another person and say, I would like you to come over here and build a barn for me. And he gives me his life back, and so it comes back to me in the form of labor expended, labor given. They life. Well, now, when you don't have that symbol of life, you can't go and get the things you need to take care of your life. We have a house payment to me. We have a car to take care of. We have... Food that we need, we have clothes for the child that we need, we have. We don't have it. Where can I lay down my life so that we can get it? I, I've been expending my time, I've been working here, I've been laboring, but I, I can't make it. Something's wrong. Now someone says, well, that isn't the work of the church. Whose work is it then? Right? The Bible says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Now, if we don't tell God's people how to handle their finances, if we don't tell God's people what the Word of God has to say about this tremendously important subject, then I'm going to tell you where they're going to learn it. It's the same place they're going to learn it. If parents don't tell their ch children the truth about sex, they're going to learn it out on the street. But they're going to learn it. And many times we have backed off from these things. Now, years ago, I began to look at this. I, I don't do those things. I don't do those things. Finally, I said, well, I'm going to have to learn how to do it. Because that's part of what people come past I'm in trouble and they don't know what to do. Go to the welfare. They help with those things. Check over here with the university. They may be able to help you. Can't you help me? I don't do those things. Finally, I said, no, that's not right. Now, either I'm going to learn how to do it or I'm going to get somebody with me. Ah, oh, that's it. I'm going to get somebody with me who can help. Now, that's the principle. Now, we're talking about a concept, see? See, the church is to teach the whole of God's Word. You read the book of Proverbs. It is literally filled with a tremendous thing. Practicalities, practicalities, practicalities of how to use money, deal with money, be successful in business. Filled with it. Many of the Lord's own illustrations are monetary illustrations. What did he ever use monetary illustrations for? He could have used much better illustrations. I don't think he could have. He used things that everybody said, oh, I understand that. See, why do you understand it? Every day they had to deal with that. See? 
We are to teach the whole Word of God. Now, see, what I'm really saying is, in the 80s, which are coming up, we're talking about economic holocaust. Well, I want to say to you right tonight, my dear brothers and sisters, that a lot of our people are in debt, the kind of which they ought not to be in. I've been telling our people for two years, here's the kind of debt I want you to get out of and don't get back in it. Send out warning letters, showing them what to do, how to work out of it, sermons preached about it and to it and against it. People are saying, well, hear you, hear you. Starting to pay those debts off. And then one after the other here call me up and write a letter or when I'm at a place ministering, say, what you know I'm out of debt? I don't owe a dime to anybody. And I say, hallelujah, brother. Right on. You're getting yourself ready for war. Trouble. Now, many people taught by the world. What's the world tell you? Go in debt. More debt. Get a credit card. Do this. Get that. More, more, more. That's how to live. And uh, That's how to live. Until somebody cuts it off suddenly. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of us as ministers are going to have people flooding in our say, Help me. I'm losing everything that I have. It's all being ripped away. My wife wants to leave. My children are... No, we can't let that happen in the 80s. We've got to lay down a foundation for our people that they will be safe when those 80s come. And not only they'll be safe, but they'll be ready to say, Thank God, Pastor, elders, you've led us in the right way. We are prepared. We're ready for what's coming. And we're ready. And not only are we ready, we can help others because we are ready and we can give. And we're ready for the battle that's ahead and the opportunities that are around about. Won't be a panicky bunch of Christians. I won't have panic in Eureka. And I won't have panic in New York. Thought I was going to have panic in New York. Had not begun to prepare. Then we began to minister very strongly there. Now, preparation going forward very rapidly, see. We cannot allow ourselves to be, Satan would love to do it, get us scrunched down into some little myopic vision of eldership instead of seeing eldership as a part of a whole range of things that we're going to be talking about. The danger of leaving a large part of God's Word untaught. Our people are squeezed into the world's mold and finally crippled there. What is coming will require a force released in the church greater than anything needed in recent times. And we dare not allow those people, and I want to call back to that idea again of destiny, we dare not allow those people which have been known to God before the foundation of the world, and whom, now see, each one of the people that God gives me, and I, I want to count you that way in the sense that I'm here. So I'm saying it to you. See, the way I look at you is this. I think it's very possible that each one of you that are here have no idea who you are at all. Some of you might, and some of you do. I don't mean that. I, I'm not trying to give an all-knowing statement because I don't know that. But in most places I've gone and talked to people, here's what I've discovered. That most people have a far smaller idea of themselves than I'm sure God has. And I can state that on the simple reading of the Word of God. If I were to say, well, this is what God says about you, and they say, oh, I don't know if that's true about me or not. See, they don't even understand in many cases that much of God's truth. But I want to tell you that each one of you, God has placed in you abilities, qualities, powers, that you don't even know, or maybe only vaguely know, but sometimes don't even know at all they exist. And you won't know until you get in the right posture toward God, 
and say, God, whatever I am to do on this earth, I want you to develop it. I don't want to any longer tell you. See, here's where the real trouble is. I don't want to any longer tell you that this is where I'm going to go and this is what I'm going to do and this is what I want to be. Because the only thing that makes you want to be something and go in a certain direction is certain abilities have emerged in you and you look at those and you say, aha, these are my abilities. But the reason why those abilities emerged in you is because you went through a school and you live in a world which is trying to develop your commercial potential. That's all the world is interested in. Whatever you go to school, just your commercial potential. They want to make you an artist or they want to make you a bookkeeper, an accountant, an engineer, a lawyer, laborer, whatever it is. You're simply moved toward that and they say, oh, you're good with your hands. I think you'll make a good carpenter. Or you're good with your eye and your hands and your art seems pretty good. Maybe you'd be an architect. And they mold you one way or the other, always toward commercial things. Suppose your mother took you to school. I want you to develop my child's spiritual qualities. See? You think, your child's what? His spiritual qualities. Those things which God has placed in him from the foundation of the world, I want you to bring those out of him so when he's 21, they'll be fully developed. They said, well, we don't know anything about that. We teach reading and writing and arithmetic and taught to the tune of a hickory stick and that kind of thing. And we don't know anything about this other stuff. Right? No, no one in this world understands except the church should understand. Many times the church doesn't understand it. That our work in Christ is to look at each individual and say, what has God put in that person? What has God put in me? I'm doing things today that I never would have dreamed I could be doing 20 years ago. Because I said, Lord, whatever your destiny for me is, I want you to lead me in that. And he's led me in things that were hard and tough and painful and sometimes good and wonderful and a whole. And then qualities began to emerge. And I said, I didn't know I could do that. Where did that come from? Always there. But I didn't know it was there. Hey, now, here, you as elders many times and wives and deacons and so forth have very small ideas about us. Oh, I'm just this guy here and I'm just this gal and I... I'm telling you, the 80s are going to demand people that are not going to be able to just say, well, I guess I'm just this kind of guy. And I, we're going to have to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, whatever it requires, I can do it. Say, that kind of mentality, a different kind of And why is it, oh, I'm just a little white and I can never do anything like that. I just, I need this, I need this. Say, honey, wherever you go, I'm with you. Say, well, it might mean sleeping on the floor. I just sleep on the floor. It might mean... Losing your dishwasher in your kitchen, all the wonderful things you've got. Where the Lord leads you, I'm going. Let's go. That's why I spoke about my wife. She's a trooper. Got a nice home at home. Rarely ever sees it. See? It's nice to go home to. And look at those. Look at that. My home. Whoa, wow. Then off again. See? But I want to tell you something. She's blessed several thousand people in her lifetime because of the things that God has showed her. It made her a greater woman than she was when she was just she was like that one time oh, I just, and I was and God said no you're not that at all here's what I want you to do here's what I want you to be okay now if you can get that in mind that in your church then are these people with potentials and they're going to need the church is going to need the world is going to need those potentials in the 80s Survival for opportunity is a necessity and the church is the instrument of God's survival and God's opportunity in the 80s. And God's eldership 
if they can see themselves, not all by themselves, but a whole range of gifts and powers is spoken about in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and that's something we should take a look at, that what we are to grasp in our mind is that what God wants is a church fully equipped, ready for the ministry. 100% participatory church. Years ago, a man said he had a church 100% active. So that's amazing. Where'd you ever get a church like that? Well, you say, you don't understand. 50% are active for me and 50% are active against me. Now, that isn't the kind of church I'm talking about. We're talking about a church that is a participatory church. See, now, let's take Ephesians 4. How many of you have your Bibles? You have your Bibles? For your elders, you've got it all memorized. All right. You have it all memorized. Good. Now, I'm going to read a scripture. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. Now turn to Ephesians 4, and let's get a concept. Let's say that we're sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And we're saying, Lord, I'm an elder. And let's pretend like we're just brand new elders all together. We've just been ordained. Don't know too much about what we're doing. All right. Sit down at the feet of the Lord and say, Lord, what's your plan for the church and what do you want to do? Okay, now let's take Ephesians 4. And he's going to tell us something. Start with the verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended... What does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, I want you to see Christ now having descended the lower parts of the earth. Now he ascends, leads captivity captive. And now this Lord Jesus, who himself was. Now who himself was? Apostle. A great apostle. Prophet. Moses said, that prophet whom they shall hear, and if they do not hear that prophet, they shall be cut off from the people. God shall raise up a prophet like in the name they do not hear that prophet, meaning the Lord Jesus. See, and when he says that prophet, he meant all prophets were summed up in that prophet. Okay, he is that apostle, he is that prophet, he is that evangelist, he is that pastor, he is that teacher, he is the great elder and bishop of our souls. We're elders and bishops, right? That's the elder and bishop, same word really. It's not the same word, but same definitions and so forth, the Episcopos and older. All right, now, so he's the elder, he's the diaconos of God, he is the great high priest. See, in himself, now imagine, Christ living in his body, contained in that body, was everything that he was. He was apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, elder, deacon, administrator, help, anything, he, anything that he needed to be on, he could be, for all the fullness of the Godhead was in him bodily. So he could by himself take any man. He could take Peter, James, John, or you and I. And he could by himself fully equip us for the work of the ministry and bring us to perfection all by himself. But now when he ascended up on high, he did something very unique. He did not give to anyone. Now notice this. He did not give to anyone to be apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, elder, deacon. It says he ascended up on high. He gave gifts to men. Some... Some, as apostles, 
some as prophets. And notice these are not the same. If they were the same, there's no need saying apostle prophet, because they're the same thing, you know? No, they're not the same thing. An apostle is one thing. It is a unique aspect of Christ to equip men and women in a certain part of their lives. It puts something into them that no other gift can put into them. Otherwise, there's no need for it. Paul said, I long to come to you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. They say, I long to come to you. I might preach a sermon. When they had that big church council there and argued over people saying that the Gentiles should keep the law and uh, sacrifices and so forth, and uh, the Bible says they sent with the apostles Paul and Barnabas, they sent two men who were prophets with them. See, so here's apostles, they sent with them prophets. Why didn't they say, we'll send you a couple more apostles? No, said, you need prophets to go with you and impart something which you'll settle this thing in their hearts. You take these prophets with you. So these prophets stood up and preached a lengthy sermon. Now, four. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Some would say four gifts. There are some five. I tend to lean toward five. It doesn't really matter. Whatever it is, it's different gifts. That's the point that I'm making. Elders. All right, now, look. Can you see then that the apostle imparts something to the saints of God? Something special that a prophet doesn't impart. The prophet comes along and he imparts something that the apostle doesn't impart. And then along comes the evangelist and he equips the saints in yet another way. And the teacher equips the saints in yet another way. And the pastor equips the saints in another way. And the elders and deacons equip the saints in yet another way. And the administrators, each one having their function of equipping the saints. Now let's see what he wants here. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now consider it, the concept that we have as traditional men. Now this is my idea. I'm the pastor here and I know how to take care of my sheep better than anyone knows how to take care of my sheep. And I know how to get them ready and I... But that runs exactly contrary to the word of God. It's saying, James Durkin, you were never given all the gifts. You do not know how to equip your saints completely. There is no way that you can do it. Not only can you not do it as an elder by yourself, you need a number of elders working with you, and you've got to learn to work in harmony with those men, and you need deacons working with you, and you need to learn to work in harmony with those men so you maintain a harmonious relationship and all of those things, but you also need working in you. They may come in and they may be there for time. You need apostolic gifts. You need prophetic gifts. You need teaching gifts. You need evangelistic gifts. You need unique pastoral gifts. We'll talk about that maybe if we have time in some place. You need administrators to be raised up in the church. A whole range of gifts so that this church may be equipped for service. Now here, James Durkin is going to do all of that by himself. You know all I can do by myself? I can impart a few of my strengths and all of my biases into the church. And they get, if I'm twisted off this way toward this thing that I believe in over here, Every one of them, after a while, they'll either leave, or you'll just see them just watching the... And pretty soon, the Durkinites go forward. <laughs> That's right. Some Bible schools, when they put graduates out, you can tell them which... That, oh, I know, he was down at so-and-so Bible school. How? The way they lead songs, may time. Lead songs. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one. 
Oh, I know where that one was. Then the next one. Oh, yeah, that one was the, the stylized. See? Instead of all of those gifts operating. So they're not like anyone except one person. Jesus. That's what we're aiming at, see? All right, now, then read this. Here's the concept. We're, we've got to get it in our hearts and say, Lord, is this what, as an elder, you want me to be a part of doing? Yes, that's it. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. And I want you to see them. Here they are out there with a, oh, I've got this here pain, Pastor. I just I get to my knee. Oh, my knee. My wife told me I was a dumb dodo. And, Pastor, I think I'm going to backslide and go get drunk. They know you're not. You're going to get equipped. Hallelujah. I'm going to turn you into a mighty man and woman of God. And you're, hey, how are you going to do that? Well, I'll tell you what I've learned. I've learned it's supposed to be done. And I've learned I can't do it myself. I'm going to start connecting myself to the men and the women who have those gifts that are necessary. And I'm going to start pulling them in here. And I'm going to say, equip my people for the work of God. I want to see them raised up to be. Now, equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith. Now, here's a, you're not talking about something in heaven. Don't need apostles up there to do that. I will have a very quick unity of the faith when I stand up there. Believe me, I just say, Lord, what's the truth about everything? Got it, got it. No arguments, please. No, but he's talking about something being done right down here. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, no more knee pain babies. Strong, mature men and women of Christ equipped for the work of the ministry. The 80s, Holocaust on every hand, war breaking out, people panicking, and in the middle of it, a light that cannot be hid, God's church. Because we have equipped them for the work of the ministry. And what is a part of that ministry? To stand as men and women of faith that cannot be shaken when the whole earth is rumbling and roaring. They're standing on the rock that cannot be moved because we've equipped them for the work of the ministry. Aren't you tired of dealing endlessly with baby Christians? See, that secures your job if you keep them babies. But what mother and what father wants to go on having babies forever that never grow up? We love to have babies, but we look when they have them, you want them to stay small, but in your heart you want them to grow up. And when they grow up, you want them to make you proud that you had them, that you had a part of their lives. You look at them and say, thank God you've given me a strong son and a strong daughter, and they're out there doing what they ought to do for Jesus. I don't want them to stay babies, but I used to want them to stay babies. Very secure position. As a result, it says... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. No, our people know the Word of God. Say, huh, don't tell me that. I know the Word of God. They didn't know it. They don't just know it because they hear a few sermonettes for Christianettes. They know it because they know what's in this book. Because they searched it out for themselves and they worked in con concert with the elders and the apostles and prophets and they know what this word teaches. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects. Oh, listen to this. We are to grow up in all aspects. It's not talking about heaven right here on earth. I'm sure you have some people in your congregation. All it takes is a small wind to blow them away from the faith. See? 
Well, you're not supposed to have people in there like that, not for long, anyhow. They, they're to grow up in all aspects into him, so when the storms of this world beat, they're able to stand there and say, and I have to go over to that place, and I'm going. And they move out, and they get there, and they don't get blown. They may get bloody, but they don't get blown. Say, all right. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which, now notice this, every joint supplies. Oh, will we ever get tired of being the supply? I'm here to minister life to you and to give you what you need and uh, come back tonight, Sunday night, so we can give you some more. And I believe that'll hold you out till Wednesday and then come Wednesday for sure because you'll never make it through till next Sunday if you don't get another shot during the middle of the week. Uh, see, and I, oh, man. I'll tell you what it ought to be. Instead of Christians coming in Wednesday saying, Oh, Pastor, get out the spiritual power right away and give me a shot of I'm about blown out. They, they ought to be coming in and say, Hey, elders, guess what happened? What? I was out witnessing this week. There's six people I'm bringing tonight. They've already accepted Jesus, but I want to make sure they get the full load. And so when they come in tonight, you just let them have it with everything you got. And I know they're going to be racing up to that altar there. See, I got another one. Pastor, I tell you, I call up here tonight. We've got this thing going on. This person here, them, where they're coming tonight. Boy, you say, there's the preacher. Bring them in. Bring them in. I'm all ready to go. Let me tell you. See, that's a whole lot different than the saints coming in. Oh, Lord Jesus, I made it again. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, where's the seat? Oh, give it. Now, many of us have exactly that kind of... You know, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not a whole lot, I tell you. Not a whole lot. <laughs> From whom the whole body being fitted and held by that which every joint supplies. So the, the elders are getting fed as much as they're feeding. It's just a kind of a thing like this, and we're just all back and forth, shooting out love and good things toward each other, say according to the proper working of each individual, each totally participating, each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Tell me something. Can you grasp that concept? You want that for your people? See, you're looking at say, Oh, Lord, I want that. Now, some of you said tonight, you're not elders. How many of you would like to be fully grown in Christ? Grown up into all aspects into Him. See, that's what the concept must be there. Now, if we don't have that, then our preaching is almost like platitudinous preaching. It's almost like, act right, be good, do nice, be sweet, love, 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 bye, bye, bye. And then out they go again and say, oh, wow, I heard that sermon before, but it's always good, it's always good. See, so, we began to impart to them concepts about themselves and are saying, me, I can be grown up into Christ in all aspects. I can be what Christ wants me to be. He has a work for me to do. There's a destiny for me. You mean I'm not just a slob sitting on a seat paying 10%, but that I'm, see? Well, that's why many Christians think about this. I don't know what else they do, you know. Well, I just work and I come here and throw the money. That's all I did. They're not supposed to think like that. It should be, hallelujah, here we are, brother, let's give us some more of that word, and here's some brother I brought with me, and he's a new brother in Christ, and this one, oh, serving Jesus, is an adventure, let's go on. See, that's the way it ought to be. Now, it will be that way, and it can be that way, in spite of everything I'm telling you about the 80s. Now, I'm going to get some pretty heavy things after a little bit here. So you're talking about the 80s, but well, they're going to be heavy. But I'm going to tell you something. 
that the darker things get, and they're going to get dark, if we've done our job with our people, and if we've made those connections with apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers and elders and deacons, others besides, get away from this parochialism! Where are the parochialism? I'm going to thing here. Go get my Like this, see? Away with that! Hey, brother, I need you. Sister, I need you. Apostle, I need you. Prophet, I need you. Hey, elders, gather around me. Let's build church. I need you. And then when that begins to get clear, and we bring in those gifts, and they begin to work, then I'm going to tell you something. I don't care how dark it gets. The only thing that's going to happen to the church is going to shine brighter and brighter in that dark day. Hey, I'll give you one final thing. Jesus said, Father, I pray that they're one as we are one. Because here's what happened when they are. He said, then the world will believe that you sent me. Now notice that. What all of the church building in the world has not accomplished, what all of the billions on missions has not accomplished, that's been money well spent. Not wrongly spent, well spent. But it's not accomplished what Jesus said in a very simple thing. He said, Father, the glory which you have given me, I have given them. This you, okay? that they may be one, as we, Father, are one. Then he said, the world will believe that you sent me, and that you love them even as you love me. What a testimony. Okay? Now that's our job. Now you know when the church will love like that? When we've got down to the business of getting them equipped so they're full-grown men and women in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand up and... Ask God to take these words and put them in our hearts. Heavenly Father, pray now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that what he envisioned for his church, a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle, any marks of wearing out or wearing down or giving up in the battle, that that would not be there, but it would truly be a church bursting with your glory. Our Father, as you've told us here through the Apostle Paul, that it would be a church that would be grown up into Christ in all things, fully grown men and women equipped for the work of service, and each one of us lending our part by that which every joint supplies, every band, every muscle, every bone, every part, all of us bound together from that head and knowing we're one, and out here laboring in that unity, Lord. Lord, the gone is the parochialism Gone are the fears of each other. Gone are the lack of trust. But Lord, we start with trust. We don't wait 20 years for somebody to prove trust. Almighty God, get us away from that kind of mentality, which is it's the world's way of trust. Thank you, Father, that we finally get our marriages together when we stop that kind of an idea about each other. We just trust each other and love each other and walk off on that point and learn to forgive each other and forget. And Father, I pray that we begin to put that same kind of trust elder with elder and builder with builder and worker with worker. And every gifted man and woman, Lord, we begin to come into a holy conclave, a holy fellowship where we lay our lives down for each other and lay our gifts down, Lord, to build the work of God. Lord, that every saint on this earth, Lord, I know that sounds grandiose or ideal. And it is, Lord. And it'd be silly and impossible except you stated it in your word, and it's you that are backing it up, and it's you that says it's so. And Lord, we believe that. We believe nothing else, Lord. Now, Father, we've seen the changes that have taken place in people's lives that were utterly 
ruined pieces of humanity, destroyed. Their minds were gone because of drugs and other loose forms of living, and they'd been in all kinds of hellish, devilish things. Lord, today they're out mightily preaching the gospel of Jesus and building works from one end of this earth to the other. Now, Lord, you're a builder of men, and Lord, we must be builders of men. Lord, we must be those men who equip men, and those men who equip women, and those men and women who equip the church. Now, Father, I pray that when we go to bed tonight or we go home and we think about these things, Lord, we will in fact think about, I want to be a man and a woman of concept, and I want my concepts to be those of the Word. I don't want them to be those of the world or what the tradition would put upon me, but I want to see myself a builder of a church like you speak of in your Word. Grant that, Father. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.